You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's the first Wednesday of the real trading week of 2020, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday with Wayne McCurry, who's a portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment. Happy New Year, first of all, Wayne. And secondly, we're eight days into the trading year, and already a few things have been thrown at us. Yes, unfortunately, they have, yeah. The other thing is that it's the same old reaction, because as I keep on saying to the previous commentators on the show today, at one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock South African time, the S&P was down nearly 50 points. The gold price had vaulted its way through 1600. And now here we are, the S&P's up on the day, and the gold price has retreated somewhat. So nobody really cares. It's all to do with liquidity, the US Federal Reserve, cheap money, and corporate earnings. And long may that continue. Yes, very much so. But I mean, there has been some developments on the Iran story. Mm. I mean, there was a counterattack by Iran with missiles, but they did state that this is was a measured a measured uh, counteraction against the U.S. attack, but they don't foresee any more countermeasures against the U.S. So this whole thing. I mean, President Trump's going to talk in a couple of hours' time about Iran. But it looks as though this whole thing's de-escalating a little bit, which mm. is good. It really is. And the S&P, as so we speak, see. S&P futures up 11 points at the moment. And what the U.S. intelligence is saying, whether they're putting this out as propaganda, I don't know. But they're saying that the missiles were deliberately targeted to miss the U.S. Yes. They just had to, you know, sort of appease the millions of Iranians that are if affronted by what they did to Qasem mm. Soleimani. So anyway, it's all fun and games, but uh, the markets at one stage were a little bit nervous. Now, business as usual. Yeah. And in fact, our market's been quite strong from the beginning of December. I mean, it was just over 55,000 and it's now sitting at 57,000. And it touched 58,000 during December, though it's come off a little bit this year. So it actually hasn't been a bad month on our all share. And although the return for last year is still mediocre, it was nevertheless 12%. I mean, it's nothing like the overseas market returns, except, you know, the U.S. market was 30-odd percent in dollar terms. But, you know, 12% in dollar terms is at least, you know, comfortably beating inflation, and it's certainly a little bit better than what we've seen over the last five years. Indeed. But you're talking in rand terms, are you, when it comes to yeah, your- In dollar terms as well. Remember, the dollar, the rand was slightly strong against the dollar. It strengthened slightly last year against the dollar. So, Probably 13% in dollar terms, yeah. Okay, what are we looking forward to in the first couple of months of this year now? We've got, obviously, the looming rating agency circus. Do you think we're going to be downgraded? That's probably the big macroeconomic issue. Yeah. Look, yes, the answer is yes. I think we are going to get downgraded. Whether it's in the next two or three months, that I don't know. All of our economists that I talk to seem to think it will be later in the year. But that's just a question of timing. Okay, so we can put that aside. It looks as though we are going to get a downgrade. Maybe if the government, the state president and the finance minister, etc., is to prepared, is prepared to take very bold steps in the budget, we might be able to avert a downgrade. But I don't think that that's likely. I think there will be some steps. But, you know, obviously at the end of the day, we're still dealing with politicians And politicians sometimes, in fact, politicians probably most of the time don't do what's right. They do what's expedient and also what they perceive their voter base will want to hear. So 
I think there will be some action in the budget, and it will all be bad news, obviously, but I don't think it will be enough to avert a downgrade. But then, of course, the next question is, what does junk status actually mean? And I don't think anyone can define that, except my input there is, a lot of the bad news is already in the price. Yes. Because it's not as though junk status is going to come out of hit us like a thunderbolt out of the blue. Everyone knows this. You know, so it's just then a question of what is the actual impact of junk status? And although it's not my view, it's clearly not my central, my, my main view, but I wouldn't be surprised if we actually see a rally once the event actually happens. As I said, I don't, that's not my main view. I think it will be negative. But it wouldn't surprise me if we actually had to see a rally after the junk status when the event actually happens. But we'll have to see on that. Yeah, I think there was, I'm trying to find it actually as you're, you're talking. I'm, I'm furiously Googling the South Korean example when they were downgraded. Uh, to junk status. And in fact, that signaled the bottom of their bond market and their stock yeah. market. And up it went from there. I mean, maybe maybe that's it. You know, pay in the pain goes away, which is one of my favorite yes. phrases. And it's all out the way. So then we can say, well, they've been building up to it. No, they've they've flagged it. And therefore, there's no more bad news. We've, we've drained yeah. the bad news pool, if you like. Mm. As I said, that wouldn't surprise me at all. But of course, you know, there are still, obviously, as we all know, I mean, this isn't news to anyone either, there's major challenges we've got to sort out in, in the country. And there's long-term challenges that have been around for a long time, but there's also very big short-term challenges. And ultimately, it all boils down to money. Government finances have got to be, the government debt has got to be curbed. We have to find some sustainable answer to ESKIM. And, you know, 15% electricity hikes is not a sustainable answer because the damage you do to the rest of the economy with those increases is far worse than the government just literally giving Eskom another $150 billion and sorting out their debt. But we've got to find some sustainable uh, sort of all-encompassing solution. An all-encompassing solution will be above inflation tariff increases government bailing out some of Eskom's debt, Eskom cutting their, cutting their overheads and cutting their costs, which unfortunately does mean job cuts. But there's got to be an all-encompassing solution to try and sort this out. because, And that's just to sort out the finances. Unfortunately, to sort out the actual provision of electricity is going to take a long time. It's in mm. a big, bigger time scale, three years, five years. A decade. Hopefully with... Yeah, whatever. Hopefully with better management, we'll have fewer drastic load shedding. And in fact, I'm on a little bit of a personal crusade here yes. saying, I think we should go on permanent stage one load shedding. It should just be permanent because it does a few things. Number one, it provides certainty. If you know it's going to happen, you can make a plan around it. Now, I've spoken to lots of companies, mining companies, retail companies, manufacturing companies, and obviously, you know, foremost in their mind is is is, is Eskom. One of the things foremost in their mind is Eskom. And everyone I talk to saying, stage one, we've already made a plan. It actually doesn't, it virtually doesn't affect our business. As long as it's only stage one, 
And as long as it's consistent and we know about it and we know it's going to happen, we plan our maintenance, we plan everything around that, our staff movements, who comes to work when. So if we had to go to permanent stage one load shedding, I don't think there will actually be a discernible impact on our economy. And then the second thing that stage one load shedding does is it gives them time to fill up the dams and fill up the diesel tanks and do the right maintenance so that when something breaks, you've got a reserve. You've got your diesel tanks are full and your dams are full. The problem is now when something breaks, as we saw on the weekend, they're already running the diesel flat out. They're already running the dams flat out, and they're running out of storage capacity. So I actually think we should literally go, maybe it's only stage a half load shedding. Maybe we only need to shed 500 kilowatts out of the system because then they don't have to run the plants flat out just to provide electricity. You can take some offline to do the necessary maintenance, and then you've got you've got a contingency reserve. So you don't get stage six, because also chatting to all of these companies that I chat to, you know, anything above stage two is a dramatic effect on their viability, especially the mining companies. They, If there's even a danger of load shedding above stage two, the shift doesn't go down the mine because they're scared they won't be able to get them out the mine again. They get stage two and worse. So I actually think we must, we've got to rethink this thing until we can solve the technical challenges with, because essentially it boils down to bad design, whatever you want to call it, at the two new power stations, and that's going to take time and money to sort. Well, on the money front, I mean, you're you're saying uh, permanent stage one. Uh, I'm saying something different, but also equally uh, unpalatable for many people, and that is go to the IMF and let's get 20 billion US dollars so we can relax a little bit. They're going to impose some restrictions on us as to the way we spend it. You're not just going to give us 20 billion and then uh, ask for a report after three to five years. But just get on with it. Employ some good people. Shore up our infrastructure and get on with it. We will pay it back because we are a diligent Certain aspects of the of the authorities in South Africa are very diligent. You know, the Reserve Bank, the Treasury, etc. So we will pay it back. Just get it out the way. Take the loan and do it. Get a big overdraft and and let's let's fix it now instead of this this piecemeal attempt at shoring up our economy. No, no, I I hear what you're saying. Look, it's a very difficult psychological thing to do to go to the IMF and ask for a bailout. It's 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 difficult for any politician to do psychologically because it's an admission of failure essentially. But having said all of that, understand that if we don't sort out South Africa, now when I say sort it out, it's all the myriad of problems that we know. But effectively it all boils down to the state of the economy at the end of the day. If we don't sort it out, now what sorting it out means You know, it's a very broad definition, but going cap in hand to the IMF will be inevitable if we don't take the corrective actions. Now, it's not in the next year, it's not in the next three years, but unless we stop the spiraling of the state debt, the falling of tax revenues, the poor economic growth, the Eskom stories, the load shedding, all of these many and varied negative factors that we know about, and an IMF bailout is inevitable. Now, what happens in an IMF bailout is you take strain for three years, five years. You know, yes. you, your economy gets battered. You get joblessness. Your currency revalues itself. 
but you actually come out after that terrible period of pain in a significantly better position than what you were. But the pain is inflicted from outside. It's not inflicted by from inside. It's inflicted by the terms and conditions of the IMF bailout, which will cause chaos in the country, which unfortunately will be very negative for the governing party that is forced to go and seek an IMF bailout. But many countries have had IMF bailouts and they are in better condition now after the bailout than what they were beforehand. But of course, then if you renege on that deal, and then you probably you are probably in in deep deep trouble. But I don't think we should talk. I mean, other than your discussion about voluntarily going to the IMF, I don't think we should enter, you know, that the realm of being forced to go to the IMF uh, in the foreseeable future, as long as we sort out the issues that we are well aware of. However, if we don't take the decisive steps, an and IMF going cap in hand to the IMF is inevitable, if not in the medium term, in the longer term, it would actually be inevitable because we're not there yet, but we're at some sort of turning point, some sort of inflection point as if we don't take the necessary drastic and painful steps debt and everything else will just start properly spiralling. Yeah, in my simple mind, we should be a, a preemptive strike and get it out the way yes, maybe, and, and maybe rather than delay right. maybe, the inevitability. If you yeah, maybe that's mean. what we should do. Yeah, you know, maybe you never know. You know, Eskom debt, you know, maybe what you what you got to do then is, and I hate using the term prescribed assets because I've got into such trouble about prescribed assets. Oh, yeah. But, you know, maybe, maybe what we've got to do is we've got to rebundle Eskom's debt extend the duration of that debt enormously. So still pay the interest, but just extend the duration and then force the prescribed assets on on the, the pension fund industry. So you'll still get paid. You will still get interest on it. It's not a donation, but it'll, essentially you'll have to carry that asset for a significantly longer time period until this duration actually becomes due. Now, as I've said, you know, it's a very touchy subject, this uh, prescribed asset story. Mm. But from what I can see, it would it would impair the flexibility, it would impair the return, it would impair about one and a half percent of all retirement funding assets in the country. You know, so it's not as though you're talking 20% of your pension fund or 10%. You're talking 1% or 2% of the pension fund assets to go into some sort of thing to sort ESCOM out and understand if ESCOM becomes viable and can be sorted out, the positive benefits for the other 98% of assets that you own could actually be quite material. You could actually get quite positive uh, returns on the certainly the domestic South African assets should we now come to a solution where Eskom is, a, is economically viable and can stand on its own two feet? So, but yeah, uh, and I mean, I don't know what the government's going to do, but taxes must go up, expenditure must go down, and we all know the problems. Cutting expenditure means jobs. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know, 60% of government expenditure, 70% is salaries and wages, and taxes... There's only one group of people who pay taxes, and that's the people who can afford to pay taxes. You know, so we, we've got to get some sort of comprehensive package coming through in the budget to actually stem the disastrous trajectory that the country as a whole is on 
economically, debt-wise, the whole lot. So, you know, been speaking about it for a long time, but we're at that point now where I think something actually has got to be done. Wayne, let's have a look at the, the, the movers up and down on the JSC, and does that tell you something about 2020, or is it just a little microcosm of today's action in relatively thin condition? Impala Platinum, 152 rand yes. a share. A year and three months ago, that was 15, 60. Yeah, well, yeah. actually, it, I think it went down to 15.50 or something like that, but whatever. Let's call enough. it 10 times your money you've yeah. made on yeah. that thing. Extraordinary. Yeah. Northern Platinum it up 4.7%, yeah. Anglo Platinum up 3.5%, yeah. Ampats is now almost trading. Ampats at 1,400 rand a share, which is more or less where it is now, hmm. is almost trading back at the high it was in 2008, eh? 2007 mm. and it's 1,400 a share as well. And people are chasing Look, these stocks as well. The fear they're of chasing mis- it, and I think it's wrong. Mm. And I think it's wrong to chase now. I, I really do. And we discussed this a year ago, a year and a half ago, saying that platinum shares could be the buy of the decade. Just didn't know when in the next decade they were going to run, because the world needs platinum, and there's limited supply. And the current cost of production was lower than the selling price. So something had to give. Either mines had to close, which meant the price would go up, or the price will go up. And that's exactly what happened is the price went up. And it's all palladium, and it's all rhodium, and it's all diesel, and it's all diesel scandals and diesel shocks. And the conversion from using palladium to platinum, I thought would happen quite quickly. It hasn't happened yet, but I still think that's a danger on the palladium price because you can convert your catalytic converter prompt to use platinum instead of palladium. It just takes a little bit of time and a little bit of money. But I think the gap between the two now justifies that time and that money. So platinum and palladium in auto catalysts are virtually 100% interchangeable, except directly at the exhaust manifold where platinum can't cope with a very high heat, but palladium can yes. so in other words this 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 substitution effect is actually taking a lot longer than what i thought but i mean make no mistake you 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 saw impala went and bought that other platinum operation in the usa right with 12 billion rand cash you know two years ago they were going bankrupt yeah, it always worries me when that sort of thing happens as well because it's you know what commodity so Yeah, the the history of commodity companies and their acquisitions is they buy at the top mm. and sell at the bottom or rather yeah. they buy at the top and then just suffer for 3 to Don't 5 years. Yeah. Um yeah. Wayne, let's have a look at the downside. By the way, I thought about that for a very long time. Why are they so stupid? Surely they know the cycle better than what we do. No, they don't. And it works out it's actually a very simple reason why they buy at the top. It's the only time they got money. Well, I suppose I could say the same thing about the asset management industry. Why are people so exactly. stupid? It's so easy. You look back at the graphs and you buy when it's low and you sell when it's high, but that doesn't always happen. Yeah. Wayne, let's not get into that argument. On the downside today, just a quick one, Barlow World down 5.6%. Anything there or is it just no, thin I, conditions? I, there was nothing. I think it's just thin market conditions. I, 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 I didn't see any news that came out on you. There was a little bit of news a day or two ago, mm. but I'd certainly I wouldn't have seen that news. It was something to do with their buying up a distributor in in in, in Europe somewhere. Um, but look, I mean, it has come under pressure. The last year's returns about minus ten percent on it. But you know, for a, a company involved in mining and heavy engineering and you know in those sectors, 
You know, the five-year return, even though it's not spectacular, it's still 10% per year for the last five years. Plus, you know, add in a couple of dividends as well. You know, you can certainly take on another 4% per year on dividends. So this thing's giving you 10, 12% return, you know, per year over the last five years. It actually hasn't been a bad investment, really. I mean, there's obviously shares that have done better, but there's certainly shares that have done significantly worse than that. Okay, on this first chat on Wayne on Wednesday for 2020, Wayne, to summarise your your thoughts for the rest of the year, stick to um, stick to your guns from 2019 because 2019 promised occasionally but disappointed yeah. uh, regularly. So 2020, yes. more of the same, but hopefully more promise than Look, disappointment. I think you summarise it correctly. There's, there's two factors. First of all is what's Donald Trump going to do? Oh, please. That's, if we, if we assume that he's not going to go into a full-out war with Iran, it looks as though the news in this next year regarding the trade war will be better than the last year, than last year, simply because his attention is diverted with politics in America. But, of course, trade, war, trade wars were, was just politics, but I think there'll be less turmoil because of trade wars this year than last year. So that's a positive. And then on South Africa... You know, if we do this right and if we do that right and if, 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 it can be a better year than last year. I'm not saying it's going to be a great year by a country mile, but I think it can get better, even if it is just simply working off such a low base. Because I think when we see December economic data with the load shedding we had there, very easy be negative. So in other words, the year could actually very easy be zero, eh? Mm. 2019. Yeah. Could very easily, if not if not negative. I mean, it's not impossible. You know, the consensus growth numbers now are point three percent, and yet the Reserve Bank doesn't cut interest rates. Isn't that extraordinary? Yeah, that is. I, I don't understand that. Obviously, they're worried about many, 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 many varied other things, and they are certainly far better qualified and experienced in doing their job than what I am. Yes. But I, I was surprised they didn't cut interest rates. There's no inflation. The economy's suffering. The rands actually were strong last year, only marginally, but it didn't collapse. You know, the rand looks reasonably stable. And it's trading, what, 14.20, 14.30, which is about, roughly speaking, more or less fair value. So I'm surprised they didn't. But if the government bites the bullet in the budget and makes the tough decisions, and if the Reserve Bank cuts interest rates and if the RAND remains stable and if Donald Trump doesn't go to war and if trade wars sort of settle down a little bit, we could have a better year. That was four ifs, Wayne. And on the four ifs, we're, going, ifs, to, yeah. we're going to curtail this conversation. Lovely to have you back. That's Wayne McCurry from FMB Wealth and Investment Portfolio Manager at that institution. And that was Wayne on Wednesday. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.